Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, Jennifer Owens here, Director of the Academy of Integrative Mental Health and your host for today's conversation. And today we spoke with Dr. Anna Yusum all about spirituality and mental health. She shares her journey in the intersection of spirituality and mental health from the lens of psychiatry. She also shares valuable stories and ideas from her research, extensive travel, and experience working with clients. We dive into the practices and ideas presented in her book, Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. We discuss soul, authenticity, purpose, being a part of something greater, intuition, harnessing personal power, and much more. Dr. Yusum also guides us in a breathing practice at the end of the conversation, so make sure to stay tuned for some stress relief and an oxygen boost. So in our conversation, we also discuss a bit about the role of religion, spirituality, and mental health. Some formal education programs discuss assessment and integration of spirituality and mental health treatment, but many do not. Until the early 19th century, psychiatry and religion were closely connected. A major change occurred when Charcot and his pupil Freud associated religion with hysteria and neurosis. This created a divide between religion and mental health care, which has continued until recently. Indeed, research has shown that there are both positive and negative influences associated with spirituality and religion. According to a literature review conducted by the Psychotherapy and Counseling Federation of Australia, the literature provides ample evidence to support the integration of a client's spiritual and religious beliefs and practices as part of good counseling and psychotherapy practice. Furthermore, research suggests that a majority of clients believe it is appropriate and important for issues of spirituality and religion to be discussed in therapy. Multiple Gallup polls of the U.S. population have consistently shown that 95% of Americans believe in God or a God. One study found that 94% of patients admitted to hospitals believe that spiritual health is as important as physical health. 77% believe that physicians should consider their patient's spiritual needs as part of their medical care, and 37% want their physician to discuss their religious beliefs more. However, 80% reported that physicians never or rarely discuss spiritual or religious issues with them. Post and Wade 2009 suggested that the practical question for clinicians is no longer whether to address the sacred in psychotherapy with religious and spiritual clients, but rather the questions are when and how to address the sacred. In our model of integrative mental health called Three Core Integrative, we offer 
that which we offer as a certification course. We address assessment and integration of spirituality and mental health treatment. We stress the importance on normalizing and naming non-mainstream religions or spiritual contexts such as witchcraft or animism, maybe even Islam, for example, to make space for clients to be able to freely discuss their spiritual or religious beliefs, especially if you're a therapist therapist practicing in a country or a region with a dominant religion or whose race, ethnicity, or presentation could be a barrier for clients to feel safe discussing this. Um, One assessment tool is called the HOPE Questions. And they were developed as a teaching tool to help medical students, residents, and practicing physicians begin the process of incorporating a spiritual assessment into the medical interview. And I'm including these today because I do think that they could be helpful for mental health professionals that either don't have training or aren't quite sure how to assess and integrate spirituality in their practice. Um, The questions haven't been validated by research, but the strength of this particular approach is that it allows for an open-ended exploration of an individual's general spiritual resources and concerns. It also serves as a natural follow-up to discussion of other support systems. It does not immediately focus on the word spirituality or religion, and this could minimize barriers to discussion based on use of language. So, uh, hope questions for a formal spiritual assessment and a medical interview stands for this. The H is sources of hope, meaning, comfort, strength, peace, love, and connection. O stands for organized religion. P stands for personal spirituality and practices. And E stands for effects on medical care and end-of-life issues. And some of the questions that you can see in this assessment, which we will link in the show notes, are questions like, when we have been discussing your support systems, I was wondering, what is there in your life that gives you internal support? Or a question like, what sustains you and keeps you going? What do you hold on to during difficult times? And if any clients answer yes, you go on to the O and P questions. So for organized religion, the questions could be, do you consider yourself part of an organized religion? And how important is this to you? What aspects of your religion are helpful and not so helpful? Questions for P, personal spiritual practices, could be something like, do you have a personal spiritual beliefs that are independent of organized religion? What are they? Stuff like that. So we would like to know, what are your thoughts around spirituality and religion and mental health? We would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message through SpeakPipe, which the link is in the show notes. Um, We would love to start a conversation or even share your comments with our integrative conversation community. We also hope that you subscribe and share this podcast, especially if you found it to be a useful resource in your personal and professional development. And now let's get even deeper into spirituality and mental health with Dr. Anna Yusum. Dr. Anna Yusum is an internationally recognized, award-winning, Stanford and Yale-educated, board-certified psychiatrist, executive coach, author, and speaker. She specializes in guiding individuals to achieve greater levels of impact, fulfillment, and connection in their life and work. 
On the clinical faculty at Yale Medical School, Dr. Yusum is the best-selling author of Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. Having helped over 1,500 individuals to live happier, more meaningful lives, Dr. Yusum is presently starting a spirituality and mental health center at Yale and making a documentary about the intersection of mental health and spirituality. And there's a little more on the bio that you can read on the show notes. But for now, welcome, Anna, to our show today. Thank you so much, Juniper. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to talk about all the work that you're doing and hear your thoughts on spirituality and mental health. It's pretty exciting. And uh, really, just to kind of start us off, I'm so interested in how people find their way to the mental health field and profession in general. And so I'd love to hear about your journey of how you found mental health as a profession and also when you became interested in spirituality in the field. Sure. So um, interestingly, I come from a long line of mathematicians in my family. And so growing up, I thought I too would become a mathematician. I was a big nerd. I was on the math team in high school. I went to the Illinois Math and Science Academy. I just love math. Nothing pleased me more than sitting at home with math problems late into the night. And I just loved it. I saw the beauty in the numbers. Then I went to Stanford and I started taking a lot of math classes as I had you know, anticipated doing. And a lot of them were taught by TAs who didn't speak English. And I found myself missing a lot of things and there wasn't as much attention given to individual um, you know, students because there were so many people interested there in math. And suddenly my passion for math was starting to wane a little bit at the same time as I was taking some biology classes I love, and then also learned that 90 some percentage of the incoming class was pre-med. So I was like, well, okay, maybe they know something I don't. I'm losing my passion for math. Why don't I jump on that bandwagon and see if that works for me? And so I did. And I think by the end of four years at Stanford, maybe 80% of you know, the people were no longer on the pre-med track, but I was. And I remember discovering one book in the room of one of my friends, Antigone, uh, who was uh, in my dorm. And she was reading a book by Irvin Yalom called Lying on the Couch. And Irvin Yalom is a psychiatrist and one of the founders of a school of thought in psychiatry called Existential Psychiatry. And I was reading his book. He was describing some of his uh, case studies and his patients. And I was like, this is so fascinating. And I loved how he went so deep probing into the human mind, the human spirit, the conflicts that we have that make us who we are. And I was like, okay, I think that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a psychiatrist and I want to write. I want to be a psychiatrist just like this man. I want to write books. And so he became for many years thereafter my role model. So this is how, you know, my first uh, spark of mental health interest grew. Now, spirituality didn't enter my life for many, many years. Um, I went to, uh, I was a management consultant for a few years. Then I went to Yale Medical School. I took some time off, uh, traveled a lot, then started my residency at NYU. And it was only towards the end of my residency. And I was starting just to feel a little bit down for a number of different reasons, issues within, you know, do I really want to be doing this? not loving residency at all, loving psychiatry, but hating residency for many different reasons. And at the same time, also dating this man that I learned was dating many, many other people. So it was a heartbreak. And all of these things plunged me into my own deep depression. And I thought, you know, 
what do I do? Here I am, the psychiatrist and therapist with all these tools under my belt that I am using with my patients, but why are these tools not sufficient to pull me out of this? And that's where I started searching. And I started searching in areas that were outside of traditional psychiatry. I started learning to meditate. I started listening to lectures on the soul. And um, in one of those lectures, I was sitting in an ice cream shop and like uh, on the way home after having a little ice cream and someone comes up to me and it was a psychic with a child. And she says to me, I have a message for you. Um, come, come with me. I want to give you this message. So she looked relatively innocuous and had a child nearby. I'm like, okay. So I went with her into her little psychic den. And um, she said to me, you met this man. His name is, she said his name. You think he's your soulmate. Things are going to work out for you. I just want you to know, don't worry. And I was flabbergasted because this is the person who I met who indeed I thought was my soulmate, but things weren't working out. And, and um, <laughs> it was just such an interesting thing. But that somehow sparked my um, realization that there's something more here. There's a, either a greater order. And so truth be told, nothing worked out with this person. I ended up marrying my soulmate many years later and who was a wonderful man and <laughs> is very, very different from this other person with whom I was at that time infatuated. But the fact that someone could come into my life and pick up on something that was top of mind, someone I didn't know at all, who's, I don't think knew me in any way, if there was something there and it made me think that we're interconnected and are able to read people in ways that before I never really anticipated. And then that's what I started studying in my work as a psychiatrist, our intuitive connections, the spiritual connection, the way in which we're able to perceive things outside of the normal scientific channels. And my research ultimately culminated in the book Fulfill that I wrote in 2017 and in a few other things that I'm working on right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what a beautiful part of, uh, I also read Irvi some of the, his books, and it's like really gets to the heart of this work and that 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 was your mentor and inspiration and, and you wrote a book and here you are on that path, right? Following that, that thread that was presented to you at the time. So that's beautiful. And thank you for sharing. And I know that you did um, talk a lot about your story in the book too. So I'm glad that you mentioned those parts and it sounds like you haven't looked back and you're still studying, researching and practicing these things with your clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I had a goal. My goal was to become a psychiatrist, but never, ever had anyone asked me many years ago, what are you going to be? I was never going to say I was going to be a spiritual psychiatrist or study spirituality or integrate that into my life and work. That door just completely opened through a number of synchronicities or coincidences. And it was fascinating. I had the choice to walk through and I choose, chose to do so. And I think that so often in our life, that's how so many of the doors open. Some are our deliberate planning and rational analysis and saying, I want this, I'm going to go for it. But other things are completely unanticipated and you're being taken almost by a higher power or an order of things that only in retrospect can you piece together into, wow, this is how I got to where I'm at. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that you, you kind of talk about that and weave that into the work that you do. And we're going to get into that. Um, mentioning that, especially on the master's level or the mental health practitioners that that have had their formal training, um, mine, for example, we looked at a framework called biopsychosocial spiritual, but the only thing we talked about in the spiritual is assessing and making sure that we knew the client's spirituality. We never were taught to uh, incorporate or use spirituality as part of mental health treatment. And 
Um, something I really loved about the way that your book was framed, um, you discussed the three most common misperceptions that you have, were seeing with your clients. So you talked about them being aware or disconnected from their souls, um, giving away their personal power and feeling alone and disconnected from everything and everybody. And I'm sure that we're hearing that even more ever so present now that disconnection is being highlighted with the pandemic. Um, and then you dedicate the rest of the book to addressing those misperceptions and moving towards the three levels or parts of authenticity, soul correction, and being a part of something greater. And I would love to hear just a little bit about those pieces um, of what those mean to you. And then how have you worked with that? And what have you seen with your patients essentially um, with those three aspects? Sure, sure. So let's start with the first one, the soul. Now, the concept of the soul, it's something that everybody has heard about. People have some sort of idea of what it could be. But in medical school and in all of my scientific training, it's really not something that's necessarily mentioned because soul is not a medical term. You know, in this framework that you're talking about, this biopsychosocial spiritual framework, soul is the spiritual part. But in my training, I was taught the biopsychosocial framework. The spiritual wasn't even part of that. It's becoming more and more so now, which is really beautiful. And the soul is this ephemeral thing. And I, in my travels, went around and asked many people to try to understand, because I was never really taught about it in medical school. What is the soul? How do you understand it? And moreover, how do I connect more deeply to it? How do I align with my soul? How do I know that I'm on my soul path? And my favorite answer to the question of what is the soul came to me from a shaman in Mexico, Fernando Broca. He said that the soul is actually comprised of two parts. One part is that which connects us to everybody and everything. This is what people refer to when they say that we are all one unified soul. And so this part of the soul is our interconnectedness with all. The other part is that which encapsulates our own uniqueness. This is what your soul has come into this work to do, into this world to do with your unique set of talents, abilities, skills, interests, passions. And so in this way, the soul is at once our interconnectedness and our uniqueness. Now, in understanding our soul in that way, what does it mean to align with your soul? What is authenticity? And how do you separate the life that you want to live and what you believe to be your purpose from that which is dictated to you by your family, your friends, your society? Sometimes the two are aligned, but sometimes they could be quite off. And actually, in many Western countries, like in the USA, we actually have the luxury of asking the question of what is authenticity and am I aligned with my soul? Not everybody in the world has the freedom to ask such questions, because if your answer was no, there wasn't much that you'd be able to do about it. There isn't much that you'd be able to, to do about it. So that's the first part, authenticity. How do you align with your soul? And there's so many different ways to do that. One very simple exercise is talking to yourself a little bit every day and starting to pose the question to the deepest part of yourself, what do I most deeply want? What do I most deeply want? Some people have asked that question many times and know the answer right away. But for other people, it's going to take a little bit of priming to really get at the root of what do you want at the deepest level? Is it love? Is it peace? Is it security? Is it something deeper? Is it to make an impact? Is it something completely different? The thing with that question is nobody needs to give you permission to be who you most deeply need to be. Your soul is what connects you also to divinity. 
And so your soul path is also the divine path that you can walk on. It's your purpose. It's also this other part that you said about the second part of my book, your soul correction. So each soul has a purpose, but it also has a number of so-called soul corrections, which is a term from the practice and study of Kabbalah. And the soul correction is that which your soul has come into this world to correct. You could know your soul correction by asking yourself, what is the greatest source of pain in your life? What keeps coming up in your life again and again and again, often much to your chagrin and despair and despite your best efforts to change it? For some people, it's being dependent on others. It's very hard for them. So it's very hard for them to be in close, committed relationships. For some people, it's the exact opposite. It's being independent, which is their soul correction. And they always have these dependent or codependent relationships that end up undermining them. But that's just one example. There's so many different soul corrections that we all as human beings have. And in my book, I talk about four of them, releasing addictions, improving relationships, and all the ways in which those soul corrections manifest, harnessing one's personal power, and transforming fear. And then the third part of the book, connecting to part of something greater, is the idea that no matter who you are, atheist, believer, religious, spiritual, anything in between, that we are all a part of something that is greater than ourselves. And being able to harness that is a powerful way of connecting to our own whether it be divinity or to the interconnectedness with other human beings. And in doing and tapping into that, you're able to get a better sense of the way you're supposed to live, the way you want to live, what you most deeply want. Because it all it all goes together. Your soul, your soul correction, being part of something greater. And part of something greater also, there's a number of ways in which we're connected to one another and can connect with the universe and with the world. Some of those are intuition. We can get messages. We can get guidance. We could know certain things outside of the normal channels of knowing just because we know. And also synchronicity. Sometimes we can get signs from the universe. Now, be very careful when you talk about a topic like signs, because as a psychiatrist, you can also have, I have many patients who can get too many signs and can be psychotic or, you know, can hear radios talking to them and see things here and see things there. And it's all signs. The only way in which synchronicity can truly guide your life in a positive, healthy way is if first you are grounded in reality, if you have a very healthy relationship with reality. Otherwise, synchronicity is not a concept that you want to go too deep into because it could actually throw you off balance rather than guiding you. So, so this is a little bit about the three parts of the book, and I'm happy to tell you, you know, anything else that you want. Yes. And what you described with the soul correction, I haven't heard it quite in that way, but I do see it over and over with the clients I've been working with for years and years, right? It seems like like you mentioned, it's something that no matter what you do just keeps coming back around. And what ends up happening, what I see is that people feel bad about themselves. They think there's something wrong with them or it, it really feeds into some of those storylines. So I love the way that you talk about it and, and it definitely shows up. So in that would you be able to share some case studies or uh, maybe even examples of how this work has applied with uh, clients or patients that you've worked with? Definitely, definitely. And so the soul correction, just like you said, it's something similar to what Sigmund Freud would call a repetition compulsion. Those things that just keep coming up over and over. And for everybody, it's something different. And once you get past this soul correction, it's like peeling layers of an onion. Then you have your next soul correction. 
And then once you get past that one, you go deeper into the onion and you have your next soul correction and onwards and upwards. As long as you are alive, there's going to be more things to correct and deeper to go within your own psyche, within your own soul. So some examples, let's talk about some examples like harnessing personal power. How many of us have given away our power to, for instance, somebody who we can't stop thinking about who has wronged us? We've made ourselves the victim and assumed a victim mentality. Now, this is not to say that some people truly aren't victimized in very, very real ways through racism, injustice, abuse, neglect, all sorts of things. And that's all very real. And yet, to assume a victim mentality and see our identity as being the victim undermines us and is very disempowering as opposed to empowering. Now, what you want to do in those situations is focus on that which you yourself can control the part of your life that you feel you are able to change and take concrete positive actions to move forward in. Now, this is for people who truly have been victimized in the very objective sense of the word. Now, there's so many of us who believe that we're victims and that's just our way of being. It's almost a personality trait that we could, you know, this person looked at us wrong or whenever anything happens to us that's negative, it's always somebody else's fault. It's really hard for us to take responsibility. It was my friend's fault, my husband's fault, the dog's fault. It was never us, right? So that is like your more traditional victim mentality. And why do people assume victim mentality? Because A, they then don't have to take responsibility themselves for it. It's easier to blame others than to take responsibility. And B, because there's a sense of righteous indignation that comes with being a victim. This always happens to me. How did this happen again, right? And so the way in which if you tend towards victim mentality or know somebody who does, the way to harness your personal power and take back your power is number one, ask, okay, what control do I have in my mentality and my thoughts now about the situation? How can I think more constructively and change my narrative so that I'm no longer a victim, so that I can actually be a powerful co-creator of my life? And B, what, if anything, did I do to create the situation? How can I take more responsibility? Because taking responsibility is equally empowering in being able to give up a victim mentality. Yeah. And you mentioned that that's kind of um, powerful, taking your power or standing in your power, but that power is exactly what you don't feel when you're in that space of you know, the victim mentality, or even say you have been victimized, but in continuing to see yourself that way, you're right. It's absolutely doesn't feel powerful. It's like you're being whisked around. I love that example. Thank you for sharing that. And, and in that, another thing I'm really excited about that you have going is a course that you have created with your colleagues. I'm going to let you explain a little bit more about that um, on spirituality and mental health. And because um, in thinking of ways to apply this, my sense is that there'll be plenty of ways in the course. Can you share a little bit more about that? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So um, two of my colleagues, Dr. Eben Alexander, a Harvard neurosurgeon, and Karen Newell, a meditation expert, and I joined forces to create a spirituality and mental health course. This course has 20 some hours of instructional teaching on the subject, which we each present uh, from our own areas of expertise. And the course was motivated by a study I undertook in my psychiatry practice, looking at a very special kind of meditation called binaural beats, which actually it's like meditation on steroids. It speeds up the rate at which meditation positively changes your brain in order to allow you to have more peace, tranquility, 
you know, reduce anxiety, things of that nature. And the study focused on using these special binaural beat meditations in order to help my patients in my practice with anxiety. And we found that being in psychiatric treatment, of course, helps with anxiety. You would hope so, right? But then meditation also helps with anxiety. But interestingly, using the two together has a synergistic effect that it's more than the sum of its parts. You know, if you had an anxiety reduction of seven points with psychiatry and seven points with meditation, together it should be 14, but it was actually 21 points. So there is this beautiful synergy that somehow the two affect each other in a powerful way. And so based on that, we started thinking about this and put together, of course, this is just a little part of the course, but the course actually focuses on all the different spiritual traditions that um, myself, Eben, and Karen describe. And is this an online course? Is it, um, does it happen? Is there certain dates or can you sign up at any time? So it's an ongoing course that you can take online at innersanctum.com. And Juniper, I believe you have a link so that anybody who listens today can have 25% off. Yes. And that will be in the show notes and uh, we'll be linking that also on our, the resources section and on our website, because we try to offer resources out there. So we'll definitely have that course and your book, which was awesome. I loved it. It is easy to read. Um, it, it, for someone who, in my mind, I've studied a lot on spirituality and world religions, and I've tinkered with quite a few, and there was still a lot of information that, um, I, either hadn't been uh, presented with, but also in the context of mental health. But that was the most important part to me was that it was in that context, which oftentimes when we're looking at um, spirituality or learning about religions, it's not in that context. So for us professionals in the field, I really enjoyed that piece of it a lot (laughs) and learning about it. Um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Thank you for taking the time to read it. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I, I appreciate it. Uh, fulfilled. So good. Um, but, you know, uh, we usually at the Academy, it's really important for us. Uh, we believe it's important to have personal and professional development. So oftentimes we are learning techniques or interventions or modalities, but um, we're not always focusing in on on our own selves or how those modalities work with us. So we call it personal and professional development. And so one of our kind of traditions with the podcast is ending with either a tip, a technique, or maybe even a guided practice, whatever you feel called to do, but that, um, that we can uh, engage in right now to explore spirituality and our mental health. I know that's- I love, cool, but. I love it. I love it. So I often- tell people, because I, and I'm sure this is, uh, if anybody here is, you know, a practitioner of spirituality for, you know, any amount of time, you probably practice a little bit of breath work. So, and breath work is the simplest thing to share and the easiest thing to do and to implement anywhere. And so my favorite breathing exercise that I teach all my patients and do myself often is to reduce anxiety and overwhelm in real time. So that is breathing in for two, holding for four, and then breathing out for eight. And what this does, you're breathing in, you're flooding your brain with oxygen. You're holding it there and then you're breathing it out very, very slowly. What that does is it creates a net positive oxygen state in your brain, which tells your brain, calm down, everything's okay. There's nothing to worry about. And this is in contrast to when we are stressed, running, hyperventilating, so we breathe out all the oxygen, we fill our brain with carbon dioxide and it's the exact opposite effect. And so why don't we try together that exercise for three breaths and just to say it again, in for two, 
hold for four, out for eight. So let's do that. In for two, hold for four, out for eight. Breathe in for two, hold for four, out for eight. Breathe in for two, hold for four, out for eight. Oh my, I needed that. I think we all did. <laughs> 30 seconds or however, yeah. I think that I'm really glad that you ended, you know, ended and shared with a breath technique because the breath is like, we always have it with us and we don't need to buy anything or to remember to do anything. It's like right there. Um, I will say that it seems to be like the hardest sell or like the client, my clients will be like, I forgot, or it didn't work, but I, I, I'm wondering what the resistance is around that. That could be for another topic. But for me, right just then, not only was it um, relaxing, activated my parasynthetic nervous system, but I did feel connected. Like I got that moment of like stillness and connection. It's really powerful. Oh, oh, which is so beautiful. And that's exactly what you want. And it beautifully said the stillness and connection. And that stillness is when, you know, our left brain, which is always chattering, the language, the reason is able to temporary still for a little bit for our intuition to come to the surface. It's only when we can chatter, uh, quiet the chattering of the emotions and the thoughts that you can hear that still quiet voice, which is your intuition, which is ultimately the voice of your soul. Mm, love it. Yeah. So I'm so glad we all got a chance to have um, that moment of soul connection and also connection with you and you, I really appreciate you being here to share your thoughts, your wisdom, and just yourself with us today. It's such a pleasure, Juniper. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. And again, we hope that you found it to be a useful resource for your personal and professional development in the mental health field. Again, we would love to hear from you. In our show notes, you can find our link to send us a voice message, or you can always send us a message through our website, www.academyimh.com. Make sure to check out the show notes for all of the resources we mentioned in the conversation, as well as the discount code for Dr. Yusum's course. Till next time, hopefully you have some space to take care of yourself, your community, and your clients.